Genesis 1, verses 1 to 23. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be light and let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teem and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Uh, hello again, everyone. Thanks, Jilly. Let me just start this. Oh, it's all gone wrong now. They can just see my chin. So. Wow. <laughs> In case you didn't hear that, T Tim just asked which one. <laughs> okay, no, that's all right. There'll be ammunition for next week's sermon now. Um, <laughs> We are uh, beginning at the very beginning, a very good place to begin. Uh, 
And uh, we're going to be looking through Genesis. There's a lot in Genesis, particularly this first uh, chapter and a half. So we're actually going to spend three weeks on these uh, first couple of chapters. Uh, So we're not getting on to the creation of humans. Uh, We're not thinking about the Sabbath. So we're not thinking particularly about the six days and then the seventh uh, this week. Uh, There's lots to to go through. Uh, So so just to set you up so you know what's happening today. But let me pray as we begin. If you've got that passage open, it would be really helpful you can uh, see where we're going as we go through. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we think about uh, the origins of all things uh, through your spoken word, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit into our hearts so that we may know and understand you better. We may know and understand ourselves better. And if we don't know you or believe in you, we pray that you would open our hearts to see that you are a good uh, and gracious God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, Genesis, along with the, other, the next four books of uh, the Old Testament, are credited to being written by uh, Moses. Uh, Moses was the great leader of the Israelite people who uh, freed them from slavery in Egypt and uh, walked them out into the wilderness and eventually uh, the Promised Land in around uh, the 15th century BC. So that was quite a long time ago. Uh, And it was also to Moses that the first written laws were given to God's people. So you you probably know the story of Moses going up onto the mountain, receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses himself, though, doesn't actually enter the narrative of these first five books until the second one, Exodus. Uh, So Genesis would have been uh, either passed on to him by oral or written traditions or sources. Uh, But as we read it, we also know, as with all of Scripture, uh, if we believe in God, we know it to be divinely inspired. It is of God. He has co-authored it, if you like, with Moses. Now, of course, if you're not a believer, uh, you might not accept that God's uh, involved with writing Scripture. Uh, But I hope what we'll see as we go through the book of Genesis, particularly these first two chapters, is just how well it holds together uh, with all of life that is around us, uh, with the historical facts, with the realities of what humans are like, with our behaviour and our life. Uh, and that this book, particularly this, this first chapter or two, uh, is really the foundation blocks, as Nigel was saying, upon which all of life and the Christian religion is built upon. Uh, And it rolls out then, after Genesis 1, over centuries and centuries into one cohesive, undeniably consistent story that is all fulfilled in, you've guessed it, the Lord Jesus. Uh, Even Jesus confirms that as Moses wrote these first five books, uh, uh, what the Jews call the Pentateuch, uh, they were written about and towards him. So John 5, I think it's on the screen, uh, verse 46 says this, Uh, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, this is Jesus speaking, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? We need to believe what Moses wrote in these books because they point to the Lord Jesus and they enable us to believe what he said as well. Genesis then gives us the kind of foundations for what we believe. Uh, It's a solid bedrock on which we stand because it's the solid bedrock on which Jesus himself stood. Uh, Not only that, but but, uh, despite our sort of current climate, with all the attempts to dismiss Christianity and a creator God, we'll actually find reassurance in this book. 
Uh, we will find uh, ourselves even being given conversations, perhaps, to have with those who doubt that there is a creator God. We'll be able to explain why we believe in Jesus, and, and it's not just some fairy tale that God created the world. We will, uh, as we've called this series, uh, find Genesis, Genesis to be a, a, a study of humanity. So it's worth considering a few things, though, as we uh, begin uh, to look at this creation uh, account in chapter 1. Uh, firstly, as we read it, we're not, uh, we shouldn't be expecting a kind of scientific, detailed explanation of how the world came about. Uh, it was written to give a theological framework more for who God is and how creation came to be. Uh, and why is that important? Uh, because that then models, as we've said, what all of life is about. Uh, it doesn't mean that as we read it we just dismiss all the detail as some kind of fairy tale. Oh, that doesn't matter. It's, it's all insignificant as long as we know God creates. But it does mean as we read it we look for the principles of creation and God rather than specific details about how each and every part of creation came about. Uh, so when we face questions uh, from science trying to disprove that God exists... We don't actually need to be as worried as some people are when we want to marry up science with Genesis. Uh, equally, there are endless, and I mean endless, debates about the scientific nature of creation versus Genesis 1 amongst Christians and theologians, uh, which may at times be very interesting, but, uh, but are far too easy uh, to distract us from the core principles that we should be agreeing on and seeing in Genesis 1. So did creation begin with a big bang 15 trillion years ago or whatever it was? Uh, well, Genesis doesn't actually give us details either way. Uh, there's no reason to categorically deny it or accept it. Genesis 1 allows the specifics to be debated without the principles it communicates to be affected. And so I hope as we go through it, we, we won't get stuck into uh, arguments and specifics and science we get stuck into who God is and who we are. Uh, so Genesis 1, uh, unlike the rest of the chapters throughout Genesis as we go through, is much more of a hymn of praise to our creator than, if you like, a historical narrative or a scientific manual. Uh, so let me uh, point out why uh, we're saying that. Uh, for example, once you get past the creation narrative of chapter 1, we enter a very deliberate, uh, clear, historical, accurate narrative as each section introduces itself. So uh, scan down to chapter 2, verse 4, and we read, This is the account of the heavens and the earth. And then what follows is the, uh, a more detailed description of the creation of mankind. Or chapter 5, verse 1, this is the account of Adam's family line. Or Genesis 6, verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. That goes on all the way through Genesis, introducing every historical narrative, accurate historical account as we go through. But chapter 1's not introduced like that. Uh, it, instead, it sets our understanding for all of that that is to come and gives us a great and glorious view of a creator God who started all of history. Uh, we don't have time to uh, delve into all the scientific arguments out there, uh, or views, sorry, on the six days of creation amongst Christians. There's at least seven mainstream held convictions about the six days of creation. My particular favourite 
but I think probably unlikely, is that each day is a 24-hour period, and specifically, and therefore the earth is very young, and that God put into the bedrock of his creation fossils and fossil records to keep scientists amused. I actually quite like the idea. But that's not the point of Genesis 1. We can talk about that and enjoy that and work on that. But the point of Genesis 1 is not to give us those sort of details. Take it at face value as 24-hour days, or take it as six periods of time over which things happened at the word and the power of God, or take it as a theological picture of the creator God who we worship. Uh, That's all okay. What's important, though is that we see the principles about the God that created, about creation, and about humanity itself. So let's begin. Uh, Our first point today, we have the creator God. Uh, Verse 1 and 2 of Genesis, in my experience, uh, we kind of know them well, but we tend to ignore them, I think, and get straight on to the six days of creation. But I think we're missing something quite wonderful about God's character. Uh, So verse 1 of Genesis 1, most uh, theologians agree that it's like a summary title. Uh, So you can ignore the bit in your Bible that's been added that just says, I think, in the beginning or creation. Uh, Verse 1 is that title originally, and it reads this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what we expect to follow, because that's the title, is an explanation of that beginning, that creation of the earth. But the basis of life is all set out there. That's the headline. In the beginning, God created. So the beginning of creation, or, or time itself, came about because there is a God who had no beginning. He began, and therefore he has no beginning. So stuff, anything, everything, exists only because God already existed and chose to create the stuff that we know. Uh, This is actually where all scientific explanations that deny a sort of spiritual realm fall down, a bit like Mrs. Jones making the tea, uh, because they deny a spiritual side to things. But there has to be a start to everything, doesn't there? Uh, Whether it was a big bang of highly condensed matter or antimatter or dust or or whatever it was, or uh, there was something in the news yesterday about us being an explosion from another universe. uh, But where did all that come from? It it all had to start somewhere. Uh, In fact, it's much easier to have faith in a creator God than it is to believe that all of this just came out of nothing. And I wonder if we're uh, uh, also sometimes guilty of uh, thinking that God is the God of the gaps, as the scientists often call him. Well, we can't find the answer to this, so God must be the answer. Well, well, Genesis starts the other way around, doesn't it? He's not the God of the gaps. He is the beginning. He is the creator God. So we start with God when we open our Bibles, and we look to him as we want to understand the world around us. Uh, Perhaps we're too familiar with this account as well, or the idea of God as creator, to even uh, realise just how significant that statement is and the implications it has for us and all of life. We have a creator God. Uh, Perhaps put yourself in the shoes of uh, an Israelite uh, who's enslaved in Egypt, 
And this random guy, Moses, turns up and says, look, uh, God is going to free you from the Egyptians. Let's go into the wilderness. Uh, What do you need to know? What is going to give you confidence to follow this, what probably looks like a crazy guy, taking you out of this country? Well, you need to know that the God he is talking about is the creator. Even the Egyptians and their mighty horses, even the elements that they use to make their chariots and their weaponry are all subservient to a creator God. Nothing is outside of his power or control because he created it. It's his. If we really take that kind of truth to heart, then we're not actually surprised when they reach the Red Sea and God, through Moses, just opens it. And they walk through on dry ground. That is a creator God. You can't change God. You can't control God. But you sure can trust him and know that he is in control of everything. This is the God you need, then, if you want forgiveness. If you want relationship, if you want to know what your life is all about, you need a creator God, the only creator God. All things must and will ultimately bow to his will. Nothing is outside of his control, is it? All things are at his mercy. All are subject to him. That is a creator God. Uh, There's no other options, there's no other gods, there's no other life other than what God has given and created. Nothing. Just God and what he wills. So we begin to understand, don't we, as the Israelites go off into the wilderness and they they start to turn their backs on God, uh, we understand the wrath that God rightly has towards those people as they travel. Moses is up there on the mountain collecting the Ten Commandments from this creator God who has just freed them from slavery in Egypt. And the people down the bottom are building a golden calf out of created things and bowing down and worshipping it. Uh, We begin to understand then the wrath of a creator God at a humanity that turns its back on him who gives them everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. He is the only source of all things. He is the only control that this world can know. Uh, So don't mess with God, as we read verse 1. You can't hide from God, as people tried to do all through the Old Testament and still do today. You you can't fool God. You, You can't live without God. Literally, you can't live without God. So perhaps an application for us this week from uh, knowing that God is the creator God is is simply to consider his power, uh, the implications that he is the source of all things and what that means for us. But it gets better, and we're only on verse 1. What is fascinating about the description of this creator God and this creation, in fact, is that it shows us the very character of God, what he is at his core, right from the beginning. So our second point, he is the redeeming God. Uh, By redeeming, I mean he he makes right or he makes good what was not perfect or not right. Uh, And partially we know this. If you read through those six days of creation, you just see the order and the beauty of everything, don't you? Uh, Indeed, God himself, at the end of each day, declares it to be what? Good. 
Uh, We also see uh, his good creation in the beauty of the descriptions as we read through it. Uh, Even the very order and structure of those six days and what's going on are just uh, incredible. They're good. So days one to three, if you hadn't noticed, are linked perfectly with days four to six. Uh, I couldn't put it in less words than uh, the commentator Wenham puts it, so let me read this to you. For example, he says, On day one, God created light, and on day four... I'll try and do it. Can I do it? I'll run out of fingers. Imagine this is four, okay? Day one, he creates light, and day four, he creates lights, the sun, moon, and the stars. On day two, he creates the sky and the sea, and on day five, he creates the dwellers of the sky and the sea, the birds and the fish. On day three, he creates the land and the vegetation, and on day six, the dwellers of the land, animals and mankind, giving them plants to eat. And finally, on day seven, as we're reaching a couple of weeks, uh, we have the Sabbath, and he rested. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's satisfying. God is ordered and methodical and careful, and it's all good. But it's not only good because God says so, and it's not only good because it's all ordered and beautiful, although that is all entirely true. It only needs to be God who says something is good, and it is good because he is the source of all things. But it is also true because the way in which God creates, he does so in a way to demonstrate his redeeming goodness. So have a look at verse 2, which I think the first part of we overlook uh, far too much. So verse 2 of chapter 1. Now the earth, that's important, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, we often hear about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. But have you ever thought about the earth being formless and empty and dark? And why is it covered in water? And how was that earth anything before day one? Again, we don't get given the scientific detail. But we have enough here to see that God is a redeeming God. You see, creation began with God creating, and God created, it seems, before day one, a formless, empty, dark, watery earth. Uh, uh, The implication was it it wasn't good. It doesn't mean it was bad or evil, but it wasn't good. Because as the next six days evolve, we hear him filling this dark, empty void of earth with his good creation. Uh, now perhaps verse 2 is still part of day 1, uh, or perhaps day two, verse 2 had existed for millions and billions of years before he began his perfect timing and began his creation of goodness uh, in verse 3. Uh, we don't know, the details don't matter, but what is the point? God redeems. Even in his creation, he will demonstrate his redeeming character. He will make all things good by deliberately starting with something that has to be shown to be good, to bring glory to himself. His very character is to be a redeeming God. So formless, emptiness, darkness, waters, all representing throughout all of history, ever since Genesis uh, was written, that something is not right or, or not good. Uh, Some theologians even think that between verse 2 and 3, that's perhaps when Satan fell from his glory in heaven and betrayed God. 
something needs to be made right. God's in control. He is the creator of all, yes. But he will glorify himself by demonstrating his redeeming character even in creation. Even before Adam falls into sin and a redeemer is required, we see his nature. He loves to make things good. And God prepares a model in his creation that will be echoed throughout all of history and point forward to the very nature of God. Humanity was not like some kind of afterthought that he got wrong. Oh, they've, they've tricked me. They've beaten me. No, it wasn't his backup plan that he would send Jesus to redeem. No, he designs into his very creation, into the model of creation, a demonstration of who he is. And he is a redeeming God. The goodness will glorify him alone. So, out of the darkness, from verse 2, what comes? Verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. A redeeming God. And when he speaks, the darkness is gone. And then out of the watery depth of verse 2, or verse 6, God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above, and it was so. God called the vault sky. There was evening, there was morning. And the next day, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, let dry ground appear. God called the dry ground land and gathered the waters to, uh, he called seas. And God saw that it was God, uh, good. So God speaks, and the fears of the deep and the watery earth that existed before are gone. He redeems it. Land and sky appear, and it was good. Uh, what about the emptiness of verse 2? Well, verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to its kind. And the land did so. Verse 20, let the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And so it was. Verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds and livestock and, the creature, and creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals and all of Wow. The emptiness of verse 2 is gone. The world is teeming with life. God makes it good. He redeems. God is a redeemer by nature. Uh, the whole complicated scientific verse Bible debate is, is a huge distraction from what our world really needs to know. You see, day one, well, maybe day one was a big bang. Uh, there was light, but there's no sun yet. That comes on day four. Well, perhaps it wasn't the Big Bang. Perhaps it's just the glory of God as he speaks and begins creation. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that God is a creator God and God is a redeemer God. He makes all things good. And so for us, we don't need to fear darkness in our world or in our lives. For by God's word... He redeems. It's in his nature. It's who he is. And God allows some chaos so he can bring order. He allows some darkness so that he can bring light. He allows the fall of humanity coming in the next chapter. He, he allows sin. He's not responsible for it, but he does allow it 
in his created order so that he receives the glory as he redeems. He is a a maker of good. He is a maker of light out of darkness. And so we're ready, aren't we, as we read this first two verses in the Bible for a creator God who will redeem through his word. No wonder Jesus said Moses, when he wrote these books, was speaking of him. It's all pointing to a redeeming saviour who will free us from our darkness, from our emptiness, from our rebellion. Uh, Ten times we read in chapter one that God said he spoke. It was God's word spoken that brings about power to create, to redeem And and before verse 2 speaks of uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of darkness. You see, the whole trinity of God is involved in this process. And so God, by his Spirit, is present where? In the darkness and the emptiness and the void and the waters. He's present. And what does he do? He prepares for the spoken word to come to bring about created order and goodness to redeem No wonder John in uh, the New Testament writes this, it's on the screen. In the beginning, deliberately using the same words, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. See, God in his creation sets up a model upon which all of humanity will need to cling on to. When the darkness comes, when we realize we're sinners, when we've rebelled against God, well, the spirit of God is there with us in that darkness. And if we'll just listen, he will bring the redeeming word of God through the person of Jesus to bring about light into our dark lives That is the pattern for all of God's work throughout all of Scripture. The Spirit is at work that through the Word of God, the Lord Jesus, God might redeem. He loves to redeem. So next time someone is talking to you about creation and science, tell them that as you look at creation, as you look at the wonders around you, you're reminded that God is a redeemer. I'm not too worried about all the scientific details, although Genesis doesn't deny or confirm any of them. What I'm concerned about is that God brings light into dark places. That is who he is. He can't help it. And if only we'll listen to the word of God through belief and repentance in the Lord Jesus, he will redeem them too. So we have a creator God and we have a redeemer God. Let's pray to him now. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you are a God who creates all things. You're the source of everything. We give you great thanks that by your nature you redeem, you make good, you bring light to darkness, you fill up where there is emptiness. We pray for each of us today that we would go out rejoicing that you are our God 
that through your spoken word, the Lord Jesus, by your spirit, we may know and live with you. Help us to tell others in this world of darkness and sin and rebellion and emptiness of your great power and love. Help us to take your word to them so that they too may join us in glory as we humble ourselves before the risen Lord Jesus in repentance and belief. We praise you for all that you are, that you are a God beyond our understanding. Keep us humble and keep us praising your name till the end of our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.